So before we get started here this morning, I am very concerned that we know the history, the, the foundation of the New Testament is the birth of Jesus. And so I've done a lot of work on the history of, of the census, the worldwide census and all of that stuff, as well as the science on the stars, amazing cool stuff about the stars. I did this years ago. It was called The Puzzle of Christmas History. And I just had our uh, administrative staff make up some CDs. They are out there. They are free. It just gives you the history and the science. Um, if you don't get one because they run out, we save 10 for you. If, you if, if they run out, you can sign up for it. Or you can just go online. And it's under, under Tom's Talks. It's called Christmas History. And for, if you're taking a CD, here's all we ask, you listen to it. So that is that. All right, would you stand with me, please, in honor of God's word. Here we go. Matthew 1, 18 through 24. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took Mary as his wife. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, would you come and fill this place with the knowledge of God? Would you encounter us with your word and with your spirit? Please, Father, we need you in every way. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So the title of the message today is God with us. So what does it mean when Jesus is going to be called God with us? What does that mean and how does that affect our lives? First, it means this, that God is always present. We did a series on the names of God. One of the names we didn't get to is Jehovah Shammah, the Lord who is there. God is always present. Psalm 139, amazing psalm. You have searched me, O God, and know my ways. You are intimately acquainted with every thought. You know the words I'm going to speak 
before I even say them. Where shall I go from your presence? Where will I flee from your Holy Spirit? If I rise with the dawn, if I, if, I'm, if I make my bed in the deep of the sea, even there your hand guides me. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The darkest night is just like the light to you. Everything is open before him. He sees everything. He is everywhere at once. Whether we acknowledge him or not, Proverbs 3, 6 says, in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight or he will give you good success. That when we acknowledge God and we acknowledge his presence and his help and we, and we call on him, God himself will help us with our life. If we choose not to acknowledge him, it doesn't make him less present. Did you know that God is present at every meal? You sit down to eat. It's not just you and your family. It's not just you and your spouse. It's not just you alone. God is always there. This is why we pray for our food. This is why we recognize the, the master of the feast is present. He is the ultimate provider of every meal. So what, what, are, you, what are you talking about? I, I earned money. I'm, I paid for that food. That, I, I provided that food. No, you didn't. Where do you think you got strength to go to work? If God hadn't opened a door, you wouldn't even have a job. Ultimately, God is the provider. Whether you acknowledge he's there or not. And so we want to acknowledge God. We want to teach our children to acknowledge God. God is always present. Do you know God goes to every wedding? Do you know, we usually start with um, that we are gathered together in the presence of God and in the company of these people, and we acknowledge God is there. Unless the Lord builds the house, they that labor in vain. My, oh, my. Have you ever been to a wedding where God is not acknowledged? Oh, my, it breaks my heart because I know how hard marriage is. I, are you kidding me? You're gonna do this without God? I, I, unbelievable. In Luke 19, Jesus weeps over the city of Jerusalem. He's coming in. In verse 44, he, he says why he's weeping. He says, God visited and you didn't, you didn't acknowledge it. You didn't, you didn't recognize that God was here, that God was visiting. And, and because of that, judgment is going to come. It's, this is just how Jesus is. When Jesus looks at you, he can't just see you. He also sees what's gonna happen if you stay in the current course of the choices you're making. It's all open before him. He starts weeping because he sees the result of them not acknowledging, not recognize God's visitation. I, I just wonder if Jesus doesn't weep at some weddings today. Because he's there, he's not acknowledged, and he sees what this is going to look like without him there and without his help. God knows everything. So Mary goes away for three months. First, she gets betrothed to Joseph. Betrothal is different than engagement, it's much stronger. It's a, it's a legal thing. It, it, to, break, to break a betrothal, you have to get divorced. It's very, very strong. And so they are already betrothed. She has gone to her cousin Elizabeth uh, for three months, her aunt Elizabeth for three, for three months, and now she is back, and she has news for him. 
she's pregnant. Three months, probably even showing a little. And no doubt she tells him the story. Joseph's a good man and he believes in God, but he cannot believe this story. Sorry. He believes the Bible, but there is no story. There's miraculous births in the Old Testament, but somebody always had sexual relations first. This is, this is unprecedented. She is pregnant and there wasn't a man involved. And so he makes a decision that he is going to divorce her secretly. And that's how he's going to move forward. So God comes to him in a dream and says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. He's afraid. God knows what you're afraid of. God knows what's behind your decisions. God knows your secret plans. He knows. He, don't be afraid. You, you, you're afraid she's a liar and that she has slept with somebody and she has lied to you and that this is just a disaster. Or you're afraid that, that it happened and she is now covering it. With, she's, she's so troubled and she's so traumatized. She really did think an angel came to her and she's kind of crazy. And Listen, neither of those are true. Don't be afraid. This is me. This is me. And he rises up from his bed and the one who didn't believe now believes. How many know that we all need our own Christmas encounter. We all, we all need to, God to break in and to encounter us. So Alice and I were in Baltimore for nine days visiting my son and his wife Shannon and our new grandson Ethan. And you're going to hear a lot about Ethan today, so I won't go into that now. But on our way back, we are, we've got a Baltimore to Minneapolis and then this little short flight from Minneapolis to Madison. And it's a very small plane and because the flight is so short, there is no flight service. So we, we've got a flight attendant, but there's no responsibility. She reads something once in a while. And anyway, Alice and I are in the back seat of this plane. If you've ever been in the back seat, let me tell you something. It's the one that doesn't go back. You're just, you're just straight up. And on this specific plane, the flight attendant actually apologized to me. She's like, this is where I have to sit. And she's got a little chair in the aisle. She's right next to me. I got Alice on one side and the flight attendant on the other. And so, you know, it's a short flight. I can live through anything. So I start chatting with her and uh, she's a single mom and she's telling me a little about her life. And I said, what about Christmas? What are you guys doing for Christmas? So she tells me about Christmas. I said, what about church? Are you guys going to go to church? She said, "That's that's a longer story. She said, I, I, I had been gone from, from church for 15 years, and she said, I just, my older brother took me to, 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 to a service, and she kind of had a bad experience, and I kind of talked her through it, but she wanted to tell me about her older brother. They're from Green Bay, and uh, her older brother had driven, she told me about how he got saved. He had driven 
from Green Bay to Minneapolis for work, and while he was driving to Minneapolis, he went past casinos, and he was planning his trip on the way back, that he was going to stop at all these casinos, and it was going to be awesome, and da-da-da-da-da. And so he's on his way back, and he starts asking himself the question, why do I have to go to these casinos? What is, what is it inside of me? And all of a sudden, he's having this encounter with God, and he gets back to Green Bay, and by the time he gets back there, he's saved. He's not just saved. He decides to go into the ministry. He, he, he gets trained, and he is about to plant a church. And I said, let's, let's go back to the story about him, that drive from, from... I said, of course, she doesn't know who I am or that I'm a pastor or anything. I said, let, let's, let's go back to the story. So was he alone in the car? And she's like, no, he wasn't alone. God was with him. (laughs) Huh. So it's just him and God, and he got converted. She said, well, I I was actually a Christian person, and I had talked to him, but this, this is how he got saved. So I want to encourage you about something. Joseph didn't believe even though Mary told him what had happened. Before you're too hard on Joseph, everybody needs their own Christmas encounter. He needs to have his own encounter. And then he believes. And so the people that you've told, the people that think you're weird, the people that think you're crazy, listen, all they need is their own Christmas encounter. They just need to experience Jesus. They need to have God come to them. They need to have their own experience with Jesus. Guys, if God can save somebody by just getting them to think about their, what, what's going on with a casino and they can go from Minneapolis unsaved and be saved when they get to Green Bay, I think he can save our families. Amen? God is present. Psalm 46, 1, the Lord is my refuge and my strength. An ever-present help in the time of trouble. Sometimes when we're in trouble and it's really bad, we feel abandoned by God. We feel like we're all, that's part of what trouble does. It makes us feel isolated. It makes us feel in prison. God wants us to know that whatever it feels like, he is ever-present in the time of trouble. He has not abandoned you in your trouble. He is there. So we, get, we arrive at Baltimore. It's the very first night. Shan- Ethan is four months old. E- Shannon has put him to bed, and we are getting ready. It's the four of us, me, Matt, Alice and Shannon, and we are about to start a game, of course, of Ticket to Ride, my favorite game. I'm excited about the game. When Matt feels like, he feels compelled to give us this announcement. Listen, at some point, Ethan will probably wake up, and Shannon and I I have decided we're going to let him cry. We're going to let him cry 
other, we don't want him to get into the habit of having to be picked up every time he's crying. So you need to prepare yourself for that. And Shannon is just like, yep, that's what we decided. I'm like, okay, you know, no problem. I've been a parent. Well, <laughs> then Ethan woke up. And he started with these small little rumblings. And then pretty soon, it's holy terror. <laughs> Ethan feels abandoned and unloved. And why is no one coming? That's very clear in the screams. Now, Matt is like, whose turn is it? Shannon is just, she just can't take it when Ethan is doing like that. And so she's trying to hold on to resolve. My dear wife, my dear wife, she broke every rule that we have of grandparenting. (laughs) But she just couldn't help herself. She's like, can I say something? I think it's too early to let him cry on his own. I think we need to go get him. I think, I think this could do permanent damage. And, 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 and Matt, and so her and Matt, I'm like, honey, really? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? This is exactly what you don't do. We never tell parents. We don't tell parents how to, we don't judge parents. They parenting their way. It's their right to parent however they want to. Come on, honey. We need to, we need to back off. Ethan feels like he is unloved at this time. Trust me. Ethan is not unloved. One time during the week, Alice asked me to go get her a diaper and a wipe. I know where the diapers are. I go get the the diaper, and now I'm looking for the wipes, and there is this red light on. I'm like, what is, what? Is that the wipes? Why is there electronics on a wipe? I pick up the wipe, it's heated. Are you kidding me? A heated wipe? Are you kidding me? Trust me, Ethan is love. There's nothing, there's nothing too good for little Ethan. He, Ethan thinks, Ethan thinks that no one knows what he's going through. A, we can hear him, but B, the, the child monitor they have is not just a, a verbal, it's, there, we had a video of him. There's an eye on the crib taking care, and we are watching Ethan. Ethan is very much present to us. He has not been abandoned. The only reason he's not being picked up is because this is for his own good and his mom and dad love him. His grandma certainly loves him. I'm, I'm ready to play the game. I love Ethan too, but I'm, anyway. So it, but the whole thing brought me back to our marriage and to when we first had Matt. Matt was one year old. He was the only child we had at the time. This is 1986. And I'm going to tell you about our baby monitor. So we were on our way back from North Carolina. We decided to stop at this hotel and we set up a playpen and Matt is in the playpen. He's one years old at this time. And he 
we are in agreement. He needs to learn how to go down on his own. So we, we've got him in the playpen, and we leave, and we are right outside the door, and Matt is just screaming. The whole hotel can hear him, no doubt about it. And Alice is like, honey, I don't think, what if he does something to himself? I think we need somebody watching him. This is before there's video cameras, folks. This is before, I mean, there's video cameras, but not monitors that are video. And I'm like, well, what do you have in mind? Why don't you go, why don't you sneak in there? You want me to sneak back into the hotel? Yeah, that's what I want you. And you keep an eye on him because I don't want anything bad to happen. I'm like, okay. So this is just ingrained in my being, what happened that night. So I creep in. The kid is screaming bloody murder in this playpen. I crawl in behind this bed. (laughs) And I have to do little, I just, I'm down here and he's there, but he can't see me. So I just take little looks to see what he's doing. And here he is. He's on the side of the, he's on the side of the, and he thinks no one knows he's there. No one knows he's screaming. I am right there. And that's how God is. No matter how hard it is, no matter how bad it is, no matter how tearful it is, God is there. God is present. And he's not just present. He says, I'm an ever-present help. He is present to help you and me in and through our troubles. And that's point two. God with us. What does it mean? First, it means God is present. And then secondly, it means God is for us. When we say to someone, I'm with you, we are saying something more than I'm going to be present with you. We're saying I'm for you. The opposite of with is against. When we say, I am with you, I am, it means I am for you. What does this mean? That God is for us. Jesus is God for us. What does that mean? Let's just think about that for a moment. The reason why this becomes complicated is God is holy and he's against sin. He's against sin, but he's for sinners. So this this caused a problem in the Old Testament. The whole Old Testament is filled with this. We've got a brief recap of the Old Testament over here. You shall not pass. I thought that was great. Anyway, um, um, the whole Old Testament is God ending up against his people. Because of sin. They just keep, they keep sinning. They keep doing what's wrong. And so God, who loves them, has to be against them to uphold his own character, his own holiness. He has to judge them. And in the midst of this, God says what the bigger plan is. I'm making a new covenant. I'm making a new agreement. This, this old covenant is actually preparing you for what is coming. I needed you to see how holy I am. I needed you to see how unholy you are and how this can never work by your performance. There is an answer, but the answer is not with you. It's with me. And he tells what the answer is. He says it to Joseph. Here's the plan. I'm coming 
The child is going to be called God with us. You're going to name him Jesus because he's going to take away sin. He's going to free people from their sin. He is my solution for sin. He's going, to, he's going to die for our sins. He's going to be resurrected. And then God can relate to us and be for us and we can experience the grace of that in Christ. So here's how God is for the human race. In what way is he for the human race? He's for the human race in this. He gave Jesus to us as the answer. But to experience the reality of God for us, you have to accept his answer, which is Christ. Otherwise, you're going to find yourself against God. You're going to find God against you. You do not want God against you at any point. You're going to find yourself hitting against a wall. He says to Saul, when he appears to him, it's not easy to kick against the goats. You're going the wrong direction, buddy. (laughs) Who are you? Saul says, and he says, I am Jesus. I am Jesus. You've set yourself against me. And that's when Saul of Tarsus becomes the apostle Paul. To experience the grace of God for us, you you need to accept his solution, which is Christ. No amount of religion will do it. No amount of prayer will do it. No amount of being good enough will do it. The only way you're going to get this thing right is by taking the answer God provided. There wasn't a human answer for our sin. God had to provide it. And he provided it in Jesus. So here's Romans chapter 8. You know, we probably have it up here, starting in verse 31. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. Pastor Tom, If this is true, if God is just so filled with grace and so filled with generosity and he's so for us and nobody can be against us and he's pleading for us, then why is life so hard? Why is it so difficult? Why is it difficult in the morning? It's difficult at night. It's difficult. We're dealing with this. We're dealing with that. We're dealing with the money thing. We're dealing with this problem, that problem. Life is so hard. It just, it doesn't feel like God is for me. It feels like I'm trudging through this life. Well, the reality is, is life is hard, but God is good. So let me tell you what's going on with Ethan right now. So Ethan was born with a misshaped head. It's, it, it happens often with children. They burrow in the womb in the wrong way. And so, um, don't get me wrong, he's unbelievably kissable. But 
but his head is, he's already in the 95 percentile for a largeness of head. And then it's just, it was just shaped the wrong way in the womb. And this is problematic. It's problematic later in life if you have to wear a bike helmet or you're trying to put glasses on. And, 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 and so, but they have ways to correct it. Um, but the, the ideal time to correct it is at four months. So while we're there, Matt and Shannon are finding out how much this is going to cost and, and trying to set this thing up. And, and what they do is they put a helmet on the little guy. And he needs to wear that helmet for two months, 23 hours a day. And they're trying to figure out how much. Here's how much it, it is. After all of their insurance has done their part, out of pocket, $2,500. For this helmet. This is for Ethan. They do anything for Ethan. And so it turns out there's this company, because of the trauma of this, this company stepped up and they said, for free, we will paint the helmet however you want to paint it. And so they, they're looking at how past kids have had their helmet painted. And guess what? Guess how Ethan's helmet's gonna be painted? He's gonna be a packer. Right in the middle of Baltimore Raven country, he's going to be a Packer. God's raising up a Packer fan in Baltimore. <laughs> and this helmet that he's got to wear for two months, 23 hours a day, is going to shape him. It's going to conform his head into the right pattern so that he won't have some of these problems growing up. Now, Here's the problem. When Ethan considers his own life right now, he is concerned about two things. He wants to eat promptly. That's one. And two, change my diaper when I'm uncomfortable. That's his whole life right now. Eating, making sure that he's comfortable, and that's what you're supposed to do for me. He's not going to understand this helmet. There's no way for him to understand this helmet. Why are mom and dad making me uncomfortable? I'm thrilled. It goes on December 30th. Matt and Shannon are going to be with us starting tomorrow for like five days. And I'm so glad I don't have to see the helmet. I'm so glad I don't have to be there to see him trying to get the helmet off. I'm, so, I'm just happy it doesn't start until after that. Um, but here's the, here's, here's the thing. There's no way for Matt and Shannon to say, Ethan, we're thinking about more than your next meal. We're thinking about more than just next week. We're thinking about when you're 16. We're thinking about when you need a bicycle helmet. We're thinking, we're, we're thinking about things that haven't even possibly entered poor little Ethan's head and that's why he has to have this helmet on. And that's why it has to be on there 23 hours a day. And they can't explain it to him. There's no way he could comprehend it. So he just has to trust them. And all they can do is hold him. Say, honey, we'll get through this. Do you want to know what the verses are right before these verse, the, the verses we read about God is for us, who can be against us, amazing, da-da-da. Here are the verses right before it. 
Romans 8, 28. He works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And then here's, here's the purpose. For he has predestined or pre-planned or pre-purposed that you and I will be conformed into the image of his son. He is on a mission to make us beautiful. He's on a mission to make us patient and kind and loving. And he is, he is conforming us. And what's the problem with that? Well, why is that a problem? That sounds, that sounds great. It might sound great. But how that is lived out, folks, that's a very different purpose than our usual purpose. Our usual purpose is we'd be happy. Have a good day. That life would go easy. God, if you love me, my life will be easy. This is hard. God, take that away. I want my life to be easy. And you see, we have cross purposes. That's our purpose. God's got a different purpose. And this, things only work to, together for good if you're, if you're willing to sign up for his purpose. So he's got this purpose to conform us. So he's like, I can't explain why this is going to help you, but I'm going to put a helmet on you that's going to conform you into the image of Christ in this area. I'm bringing a test. It's not forever. It's just two months, and it's only 23 hours a day. <laughs> and, and, and you're not going to understand it, but you need to just trust me because I'm making you beautiful. I'm letting you go through some things that you wouldn't have chosen for yourself, and, and I'm, I'm making you beautiful. I need you to trust me. This is me for you. I am for you. All right, so that's God with us. Number one, he's present. Number two, he's for us. And here's number three. It's a question. What do you really believe? Not what do you want to believe. Not what you say you believe, not what you sing you believe, not what, of course this is what we believe. What do you really believe? When you're in the midst of Monday through Saturday, what it, do you really believe about God and yourself and your relationship with him? Let's tell the full Christmas story. Because this is part of it. Matthew chapter 2, 13 through 16. This is very, these are very strong, difficult passages. Oh, here we go. I'll, I'll just read it. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys, all the baby boys in Bethlehem and in its vicinity who were two years and younger, two years old and, and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. So Jesus is saved. But all these other babies in Bethlehem are killed. Herod, Herod, Herod was a madman. 
Herod, his favorite wife, Miriam, he became suspicious of her, had her killed. His two heirs, Aristobulus and Alexander, became suspicious of them, had them killed. He makes Antipater, another son, the new heir, five days before Herod dies, he kills Antipater, once again, because he's suspicious of him. He just destroyed everything that in any way challenged him. And you, you, say, you say to yourself, God, are you kidding me? Why do you let people like this do what they're doing? God, how can we live in a world where things like this happen? You know what the next verse says? It says that, that Rachel's weeping has gone out and she refuses to be comforted because her children are no more. This is all these moms that are weeping for this senseless destruction. How, how can there be a God that loves us and is personal and things like this happen in the world? I'm, I'm reading a book right now um, it's a fiction book, but the, one of the main characters, here's how he starts in the book. That he can't believe in a personal loving God because of the Holocaust. End of story. How could there be a personal loving God and there be a Holocaust? Doesn't work. The equation doesn't work. I saw a commercial a few days ago. It was Marlo Thomas, and she is raising money for, to fight cancer uh, that is affecting children. And she has got moms on there that have clearly lost their children to cancer that are telling these stories with tears and we're going to raise money for cancer because we can do something. And, 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 and you get done with it and you're like, how these poor innocent kids are dying of cancer. How can God allow this? It challenges faith. It cha- how, how can God be loving and personal and in charge and having this kind of mess going on. Challenges faith. Well, maybe there's more happening on the planet than we thought was happening. Maybe the story's a little bigger than we thought it was. Look at Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 through 5. Do a little Bible study here. A great sign appeared in heaven a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. Whenever it says a sign, it means it's not the reality. It's pointing to a, a, a reality. We'll talk about that in a minute. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the angels out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child who will rule the nations with an iron scepter, and her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. That's a very, very short way to tell about Jesus' birth, his death, and his resurrection, just that he won. So it turns out there's more going on than we thought. The woman with the 12 stars, 
That's Israel. That, that picture's from Genesis 37. It's, it's a reference to Israel. Israel is pregnant with what? A promise. A promise that one is coming. One is going to be born. It's not just Mary that's pregnant. All of Israel has been pregnant for thousands of years with this promise of this coming Messiah. But when the Messiah is born, darkness, the dragon and the the third of the stars, you don't even have to figure out what that means because in verse 9 it says who it is. It's Satan and his angels. Satan fell. We don't know when he fell, but we know this. He took a third of the angels with him. They are waiting. They're, they're, and they, are, they are against the human race. They are to fight. They fight against the human race. They try to kill, steal, and destroy. And they are waiting for Messiah, the promised Messiah to come so they can kill it. So it's not just King Herod. There's, there's demonic, dark, powers that are fighting, that, that want to destroy the Messiah. This is the bigger cosmic picture. Well, why does God allow the devil? Why, why? Listen, the book of Revelation ends, and this time is coming to an end. It's just not over yet. We are in a time right now of testing. We are in a time right now of warfare where the enemy is allowed to do stuff. Jesus said it this way. The thief came to kill, steal, and destroy, but I came that they might have life. There is, there is something called spiritual warfare going on right now. I want you to look at these two verses. Revelation 12, 10. We'll we'll end with this. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. And they have defeated him by the blood of the Lamb and by their testimony. There is a conflict going on of darkness against light, and there is a way to overcome the darkness. Now, Friday night I had a dream, very powerful dream, and it was about, it, it was about real conflict, what it looks like right now, and it's about Revelation 12, 10 and 11. And I wake up early Saturday morning, I go down, get my coffee on, go down, and before I read, I always read the Bible first, always. I don't read the Bible first. I write this dream down because it's so vivid. I write the whole thing down, and I've already decided I'm not even gonna tell people I had a dream. I'm just gonna tell the story of the dream. But then I open up my Bible. Oh my, the dream is about Revelation 12, 10 and 11. It's, it's Saturday morning. It's December 21st. The reading for the day is Revelation chapter 12. I'm like, this is so intimate. God wants to speak to somebody this Sunday morning. I had to come in here, change my message all around to tell this story. Here was the dream. This is for somebody that's here. It's a father and a daughter are going on vacation They are at a resort. They get to the resort. The daughter is going to see what the resort is like. The dad is paying. And as he is coming out looking for her, he falls over. He's he's having a heart attack and there's no one around. And he he is going to die. That's how bad it is. And all I see... He's laying there, he's dying, and I see a demon come, and I see him being attacked by a demon. I don't actually hear 
exactly what is said, but I know that we're in a time of great spiritual war right now. I know this guy is a nominal believer. He's been to church. He knows the message. But now it's not about what he wants to believe. Now it's about what he really believes. And here's, I, I, I'm imagining what the, what the attack is. He's the accuser. One thing he does is he'll accuse God to us. So the attack might be, God, where are you? God, you left me alone. God, you have abandoned me. God, I thought you were good. Here I am on vacation. Now I'm dying. God, there's no one here to help me. You have left me. You have abandoned me. That might be the attack. Or the attack could be against him. The attack could be this, this man is being attacked and demons can't make you think stuff. They can just suggest stuff. This is my fault. God is punishing me. I knew I wasn't a good enough Christian. I know I haven't given enough or attended enough or been good enough, and God is punishing me. This is my fault. What is happening to me is my fault. That could be the other attack. The Holy Spirit's there too. I know the Holy Spirit's there working too. What's his message? His message is this. We're all gonna die sometime. This is why Jesus died. It's so that you could be forgiven. This is why the blood of Jesus was shed. You're going to your reward right now. It's not time to look down. It's time to look up and thank God that there is a heaven prepared for you. But you don't just, we don't, Overcome just by the blood of the Lamb. Even though Jesus died and loves you and he died for you and he died to forgive your sins. You have to add your testimony. Whatever story you tell is gonna be a reality. If, you're, if the story you decide to agree with is that God has abandoned you, that will be your reality. If the story you agree with is this is my fault and God's punishing me and God's against me, that will be your reality. But the truth is, is that God loves you and that Jesus died for you. So he dies. He dies. I don't know what happens to him. I don't know if he won that battle or not, but I see his daughter come. Now his daughter comes and finds, and the whole thing starts again. She is there, and I see the demon attack her. I don't know what he's saying, but I can imagine it. Number one, God has, the, the accusation could be against God. God has abandoned you. Here you are, Christian, here you are, you've served God, you love God. This is supposed to be your vacation. And when God needed you the most, he let your dad die. God, how could you possibly do this? Or the attack could easily be, oh, this is my fault. If I had been here, he wouldn't have died. If I'd been a better Christian, I would have died. If I listened to God better, why did I have to go look at the resort? Why couldn't have I been here? Da 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 and, and all of this accusation coming against her. Or there's another voice that's saying, your dad didn't die right away. He had time to get right with me. Your dad didn't suffer in pain for a long time. You knew he was gonna die. You know this life is short. You know this is just a breath. You are not alone. I am with you. I will be with you. I'll take you forward. I need, no, you don't understand why this happened now. You, you have no grid for it, but I need you to trust 
me because you're going to need me in the days to come. I'm here to comfort you. I'm here to be with you. I'm here to lead you. You are not alone. And whichever story she agrees with is going to be the reality that she lives out because it's not enough that Jesus loves you and died for you. You have to make your testimony that he loves you and that he died for you and that he is good. You have to agree with the truth to live the reality of that truth. And here's why God gave me that dream and, and why we're doing this today. It's because there's someone here. You've had something tragic happen in your past. Maybe it's many You've had something unexplainable and whenever you go to try to believe in God and believe in his goodness and receive his love, that comes up in your face. And so you want to believe, that's why you're at church. You want to believe God loves you. You want to believe God's for you, but you've got this evidence against it that comes up, this trauma, and it might have happened to you, it might have happened to somebody else, but it's unexplainable. It might be poverty in the third world. It might be what's happening somewhere else that how can there be a good God that allows this stuff to happen? And today, this message is God wants to untie every other plot line except the one that's true. He wants to give you permission to believe in his love and in his goodness and that he is for you even though bad things have happened to good people, unexplainable things have happened in this world. He wants you to trust him. If we could have every head bowed for just a moment, I want to pray for two, two groups of people. The first one is this. Maybe you are here today and the idea of that you are forgiven, the idea that, that, that God is for you, that Jesus is with you, that Jesus is in you, is kind of foreign to you. You don't know that you're forgiven. You don't know if you died, you would go to heaven. Here's the good news. Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, anyone, doesn't matter how much you've sinned, how long you've sinned, how horrible you've been, how irreligious you've been, how blasphemous you've been, how much you've ignored him in the past, If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to them. This is why he came. This is why he died. Nothing you've done against God has changed his love for you. He loves you and he showed it by dying for you on the cross. And he's here today knocking on your door. And if that's you and you want to say yes to him, I want you to just raise your hand real high right now, long enough for me to see it. We're going to pray that prayer. I see that. I see that. I see that. God bless you. You can put those down. I see those three hands in the balcony over there. God bless you. You can put those down. I see, I got you, honey. Thank you. God bless you. Anybody else by upraised hand? We're going to pray that prayer in just a moment. Anybody else? If you raised your hand, I I just want you to slip your hand over your heart right now and pray something like this. Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me on the cross. Thank you for being so persistent that you got me to this church service and you have knocked on my heart. Lord, I am opening my heart and my life by faith right now. Please come in, save me, wash me. I am not ashamed to acknowledge that I need a savior. I want to experience you. Come, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. And then could we all stand, please?
Second group is you've been just believing the wrong story. There's been a, a wrong twist on the events of your life. The suggestions of the enemy have just kind of overwhelmed you and God is here. To, and maybe, maybe you haven't bitten on it. Maybe you're just being tempted to bite on it. But today God wants to set you free. He wants you to win. He wants you to overcome personal evil by the blood of the lamb and by adding your testimony to it. So if that is you, you've been under some type of attack about the goodness of God. I want you to just open your arms like this. I want to pray for you. Lord, there is a a war going on and our enemy does not play fair. Lord, would you come right now and set your captive people free? Would you untie lies? Would you heal trauma of our past? Would we be the thing that we haven't been able to let go of? God, I pray for grace today. We would be able to let go of it and just trust you and just trust you and just say, I don't need an answer now. I'm okay. Go ahead and comfort me. Lord, those mothers refused comfort at that time. But that didn't mean that you didn't come near them. You're near the brokenhearted. Eventually a time came, I believe, that every one of them were comforted by you. Every one of them thanked you that their child, even though it wasn't on earth, was in heaven with you because the kingdom of God belongs to children. Thank you, God, that even in the midst of all the things the enemy's trying to do, you are doing something greater, something redemptive. Heal us, God. Heal us, God. Heal us, God. And help us to agree that I am loved. I am washed. I am a child of God. Now here's the other end of this, folks. When we get the story straight in our own lives, and experience that healing and joy. Jesus is sending us out to tell that story because there's lots of people out there that are believing lies. The enemy's having his way. He's devouring people with lies and telling the wrong story that God, that it's just about randomness and there there is no God and and there's, there's so many bad stories being told out there. And God wants to heal us and then he wants to send us as lights into this hurting world to tell them of his love and of his goodness and of his redemption. Lord, I'm praying for Christmas Eve. I'm praying this place would be jammed, both services, so that people can hear about Jesus. They can hear about redemption. They can hear, God, that you are for them and not against them. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, we're going to have uh, some ministry teams up here if you want more prayer. Merry Christmas. Hope you can come on Christmas Eve. Bless you.